Welcome everybody. My name is Alexander Greb. I am the Customer Advisory Lead for S4HANA Strategy SAP and you are listening to the SAP Experts Podcast. You can listen to us on all your favorite platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify and OpenSAP. So don't forget to like, share and subscribe us so you never miss a new episode. And believe me, it's worth it. The next month will be fully packed with weekly new releases and exciting topics and guests. So don't miss out and click on subscribe. Also, before we start, I want to wish you all a very happy new year. May 2020 be full of joy, best health and that's what's much more important than all that business stuff. Lots of time with your loved ones because that's what matters most in life. 2020 is going to be a very exciting year as many digitalization initiatives across all industries are full steam ahead. Early January is generally the time of the year when often questions are asked if there will be something like a determining topic for the next 12 months. You know, that will produce a lot of new capabilities and will have a big effect how enterprises do their business. If you ask Sven Deniken, who is kicking off this year at the SAP Express podcast and is Senior Vice President and Head of Product Success and Co-Innovation, he has a very clear opinion about that topic. 2020 will be the year of artificial intelligence. So in this episode, Sven and me will give you a 360 degree overview about the actual status, development and usability of AI, machine learning and robotic process automation. And we will also tackle the social implications of these new technologies. And if you want to know what Sven advises his sons to pay attention to in the personal development to be on the top of the game in the 21st century, you are perfectly right here at the SAP Experts Podcast. Welcome Sven. Hi, thanks for having me, Alex. First, great to have you again. That's becoming almost a regular on this show. May maybe let's start with a personal note. Um, because when interacting with you or like following you in the last months, you're heavily present. And like we were presenting, explaining great new things in the new S4HANA cloud releases, giving keynotes at conferences like Sub Insight in Barcelona lately. And sometimes when following you, you may get the feeling you are on two continents at the same time. Um, are any worries about your work-life balance legitimated or not necessary? Unfortunately, they are, but it is more coming out of the motivation to co-innovate. So I'm standing on the shoulders of Giants, which is actually my team is globally present on the other side it enables me to go to clients and sit with clients and i think that makes an awful lot of a difference and as on on the flip side of course when you have the motivation you need to pay in as well and i think we are living first in really interesting times with very interesting topics what could be better than that uh, definitely this because it helps you to do your job just much better than without this absolutely talking about 2020 about your big topics what do you expect to be like let's say the high flying things that what will people thrill most in 2020 concerning your job 
Yeah, maybe you have noticed as well. I'm one of the few, albeit present, I don't do those glass ball prediction yeah. block thingies. Uh, I like some of them, um, but but most of them is just refurbishing what was already known knowledge. I'm I'm more a hands-on guy. Um, and I'll give you the example, and I think we're going to talk about that also today, is um, artificial intelligence has been around for a while, coming from a PhD concept a couple of years ago to be extremely tangible, which I see day in and day out in my job. So what I'm trying to do is to make it really tangible in the sense of adoption. Mm -hmm. Because innovation only counts if it's adopted. If it's on a paper, if it's, I think, in PowerPoint, if it's in an Excel sheet, if it's in a business case. I think that's all important, but that's not where the rubber hits the road. The rubber hits the road if you see the outcome of such innovation. But um, rest assured, uh, we're going to talk and hear and actually act a lot on automation in the next years. So we could say we are now, let's say, past the prototype and pilot phase? Oh, absolutely we are. If I, if I look at the, the product I do care of, which is SPS for HANA, um, it's hundreds. It is actually, meanwhile, crossing the chasm of you see the efficiency. Now, interesting enough, if you talk about automation, there's very often some things you don't even see. Mm -hmm. How would you demo something that goes away because it's automated? But you feel the effect. Um, we know, and we talked, I think, in the last podcast, the analogy to cars. Like, you know, you come from automating certain things, from supporting certain things, to really, truly having something autonomous. And I think if you follow that trajectory, I think the same will happen with ERP. It's going to get more and more autonomous and the end user doesn't even notice but feels start to feel more secure, more comfortable, more relying on actually the decisions he's going to make. And here's where automation pays in big time. So let us put these elements a little bit into pieces. Like mm -hmm. we have automation on one side, we have machine learning, we have AI. Um, do you think or do you see those things as heavily interconnected or do you see them as a more let's say separate disciplines fulfilling one major goal yeah so definitely they are interconnected and they need to be if you think about a business process you apply part or several of those technologies along a business process because some of those technologies serve different needs let me try to cluster it a little bit And when I think about also the human aspect around it, which we're going to talk later as well, if you look at the intelligent technologies who support automation, I take three clusters. The first one is the thinking and the decision making. Here, definitely technology like machine learning, like data intelligence, like real-timeness, pay in. Second, it is this listening, speaking, interacting, where you have the conversational um, interfaces that you use Because once you're able to talk to your product, mm -hmm. the product understands what you mean, which is actually, it's not the technology itself, it's the product starts to realize who you are, what is your role, what do you want from him. And the third one is then the acting, where technologies like process robotic automation pay in the most. So let, let's talk at first about the interaction part. Um, when we are talking about, and I probably... Probably you're referring to the co-pilot, which is like the personal assistant for, for the user or mm -hmm. similar capabilities. Um, being able to talk to a system, that's what, for example, I experience from myself. I kind mm -hmm. of just speak here for myself when interacting, yeah. for example, with my mobile phone or Correct. with other devices. I completely, let's say, interact differently, differently with mm. them. Yeah, More a talk, more, let's say, um, 
interactional. Um, yeah. So you expect something like a completely different behavior in interaction with ERP2? For sure, completely different how we do it today, because many still who, who work on older versions or are buried into complexity, they extract data, they report data, and then they act on the report. And I think that what that automation technology gives us, that intelligence behind that is that you act as you would act with your mobile phone. You ask a question and you will get an answer. Now, that is a change that's going to happen over time. Now, the people you and me hire today, they're completely wired that way already. Yeah, While the people who you also need, which are the people who have knowledge, they need to start to actually codify that. And we'll come to that later as well. The crucial difference is, are you sitting in front of an algorithm or behind an algorithm? Mm -hmm. And you need people with experience and people with the ability to craft that in a, in a perfect way in both sides. So when we have like those two disciplines, on the one side, like um, automatization, mm -hmm. where we are talking about more commodity processes, mm -hmm. probably, And the other side, like, let's say, um, artificial intelligence, more decision support, where we are in the more diversifying processes. Mm -hmm. um, is there really something like a clear border between those two, let's say, disciplines? I do happen to believe that you need always to think about the connectivity. Now, if, if, if I refer back to what I hear from customers is, Let's make our ERP much, much faster in the innovation cycle, which actually you do by keeping the core clean. So where you would hyper-automate certain processes, there's a don't need to touch them again and again. So you're coming more with a fit-to-standard than to fit-to-wish approach. On the differentiating processes, you maybe have faster changes. And that's the flexibility that also we have learned via the cloud defined as software as a service, platform as a service infrastructure, that a good combo of SaaS and PaaS gives you that ability, that leg room of reacting in different paces of innovation. But we also need to differentiate a little bit here, like we do, we need to do that in the intelligent part from the hype versus the current reality. Definitely, definitely. And, and, and talking about that current reality, um, what I, for example, think is, is a stunning possibility um, when we're talking about, let's say, capabilities. It's, in my opinion, always better to talk about capabilities, for mm -hmm. example, than features and functions because capabilities lead to a result and make you definitely better in, let's say, a certain state. Um, the most or one of the most prominent capabilities we have in an in intelligent ERP is purely is pure insight to action. Yeah, which means like we now finally are able to connect on the one hand the transparency because of our new data model with something like um, a real connection to resolving an issue in, within the process mm -hmm. and within truly real decision support, which has never happened before. Yeah? Mm -hmm. Because you like you, you had maybe the bad news from, from an inside part, right. then you had to leave the system and go maybe to a different transaction and so on. Mm -hmm. With these possibilities now, these, let's say, borders, yeah, they, they, they go completely. Mm -hmm. yeah. I, I do agree, and I think it is, again, the combination. Many people tend to throw technology at a problem mm -hmm. and, and think that every problem can be solved technology-wise. Um, so partially that might be true, but what do you need for that? You need the right timing, 
the right acceptance also of certain technology. And we'll talk about some, some surveys and stats that I'm looking at when we make those decisions. But again, let me try to dissect it. When we think about how intelligent technologies work for an end-to-end -end process for automation, I again look at three different buckets. So first, let's look, we need to optimize something. Machine learning, perfectly situated, but machine learning needs to learn, as the yeah, name sure. says. Needs stuff. And actually needs stuff, needs data, and it's sometimes very specific to a situation again. Now, if you, if you extend the interaction where we came with the conversational AI behind the scenes, you will have some of those technologies. On the transformation side of the house, which is actually where you really do the first steps, like you improve your operations, you go into increasing service quality, you increase compliance, so very tangible things that you anyhow do to run your business. Their process robotic automation can show you an immediate value. And, and as for HANA, we're delivering them since, since years, and we now do that monthly, like hundreds of bots which are crafted towards optimizing a part of the business process inside S4 and around S4, because there's not only data sits in your P, you have many systems contributing. This is where I think you see it tangible, and you see that hype versus reality, actually reality evolves quicker than you ever thought. Things like, let's say, robotic process automatization and machine learning, they, of course, need stuff to work with. Mm -hmm. yeah, they have to, they, they have something already there, which mm -hmm. is data. Many customers, in, from my experience now, now realize or start to realize that there is something which has been all, all the time there, like the, like the treasure they're sitting on, mm. and they now like start to, um, to, to work with it. Um, do you think like the necessary base for machine learning and so on, which is data, which is like optimized data and clean data and so on, is already commonly there? in a state that we need it or like this technology needs it to be able to process it? Or is there something like homework to do first? Oh, first of all, there, there's definitely homework and it starts with the acceptance. And then I looked and, and we talked about statistics. I looked at two surveys which actually stood out for me. The one is the McKinsey study uh, which talks about uh, competing in a data-driven world. And the other one was from Forrester where they talked about how, how powering intelligent enterprise with AI. So first of all, the findings were interesting, three stats. Number one, 50% of the companies they surveyed struggle with the complexity of artificial intelligence, mm -hmm. which again speaks for what I said earlier. Let, let's boil it down to what is available, where can you apply it? 86% actually also claim they don't get value out of their data. They know they have data, they have a lot of data, they have a lot of business processes, but they struggle. And 85% even fail when they try to put it into production. Because you come with an idea, oh, machine learning solved the problem. They throw it actually at the problem and they fail. Mm -hmm. So where I see also that the customers now, nevertheless, there's an appetite. 67% consider that machine learning, AI are important business initiatives. And I think that's where it starts. You need to look at the case, at the outcome to really pull that off. And 33% are confident that they have the ability. Now it differs by, by size, by company, um, by industry, by region. Mm -hmm. 
But as we now have the confidence around it, it is our job also to give them very, very tangible examples. And that's what we do along end-to-end processes. So we convince them to say, yeah, well, why couldn't you use a bot to optimize that part of the process that your workers could focus on the exceptions, which makes that efficiency, that growth potential. And this is where then technology, the case, the outcome really tangibly comes together. So when we are talking about, uh, or these statistics tell a story about, let's say, still some customers are struggling mm -hmm. and uh, because AI for them is complex. Is this A, a maturity issue? And B, where is the maturity issue at which side? Is it on the technology side or is it more, let's say, on the human on the adopter side or maybe on both unfortunately it's on both if you just look it in the in the aspect as yes i kind of understand what machine learning is so let's try it out no you should have a true plan where it makes sense and and actually you can't throw one of those um, aspects just to every problem let me give an example from a from an end-to-end -end process if you look at the at the, a person who works as a sales manager something that maybe all of us can or think can easily understand then if if you look into incoming sales inquiries they get a lot um, and here you can use automation via bots analyzing the data and pre-qualifying it for you which before you might do Let's call it with an Excel sheet or what a spreadsheet or whatever, whatever you use for it. Now, on the next step, when you go to say also to predict based on the data which one to focus on first, this is where already machine learning capabilities could kick in because you learn of your historical data, you learn about actually your environment that you have, you even pull in data like. If I respond to that inquiry, I think I have a higher probability to deliver at the end, so manufacturing data. So the more complex it gets, the more you want learning to kick in. At the end it comes, and I could go on, go on with that process, is someone needs to decide which technology at what point in time, at what step of the process has the best value. And last but not least, you should deliver that as a pre-configured approach so for the end user, it looks seamless, but behind the scenes is us engineers who need to look into like, hey, how does an inquiry come in? Usually with an email. So the bot should actually look into your inbox. Uh, most of the RFPs are in a spreadsheet. So we need the technology to read out a spreadsheet and combine data. And we need to look at historical data, which sits in an S4 on an ERP system, and there was machining cooking. Mm -hmm. This is the job we as engineers need to do for the end user, maybe afterwards pick up his mobile phone and talk to his ERP and say, give me the latest inquiries. What are the top three I should focus in today? So again, we are then basically at the point then like technology for technology's sake does not help. Right. Yeah, it, it remembers again at these, let's say, in my opinion, worst case, um, ah, great technology, let's or like great medicine, now let's look for a um, fitting disease. But when you say like it's our job as engineers, would there then be something like a necessity to present something like these kind of technology in certain packages, which may be like something like a starter package and on the other, let's say less an immediate immediate package or maybe something like a professional's package, which makes adoption or coming to that part more easily? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, a lot of people come and say, hey, here I have a new cool idea. Could you put that into S4? Is that something the value for you? 
My immediate reaction is, well, go to the platform and deliver it to me as a service. And there are two reasons, again, to it. It should be stable and scalable, mm -hmm. and I want to use it for actually my product, but I want to give it also to the ecosystem, to the experts, to extend it, to build their own. I'll give you two examples. When we talk about embedded analytics, which sounds like a very basic thing, mm -hmm. how much intelligence you build into, how you craft those stories which are based on true business, business processes, outcomes, values, things that I need to do, being it from the compliance, from the optimization, from actually supporting your business. If you craft that as content, as part of your solution, you can right away use it. But there might be even that content, that approach, how does that report look like, what data it, it, it pulls in, you might want to alter it a little bit. So that's where you then want to use exactly the same approach, the same tools, the same technology on the platform, because I want to go that last mile. And by the way, that's very often the ecosystem. So in that sense, absolutely prepackage. Uh, best practice plays a, a huge role there. And afterwards, also give that openness. We do that even in process robotic automation. Hundreds of bots that we predefine in areas where we know best. But then you come to the reality of a project and you might to alter it, to change it a little bit. So in that sense, yes, we need to have a hyper-standardized approach. On the other side, we need to give those tools to the people, the craftsmanship, which also in some companies sits in the brains of their actually experts. Then if I am a customer really interested in that and not want to go and to fall into the trap, like look at technology and then maybe get lost a little bit in the possibilities because they are without a doubt huge. Maybe we are still like just knee deep in an ocean of possibilities, but mm. still the possibilities are huge. What could be like something like an entry drug? So, so first of all, um, I'm not in, in track in drugs, but uh, <laughs> on the other side, um, an ERP never goes away. Uh, you run your business. As long as something being produced, even if it's a service, as long as something being shipped, even if you provide a service, and as long as something is being paid, an ERP, a core solution there is needed, and that's for us S4. So my job is uh, twofold, and this is maybe the first step. Uh, number one, keeping the core clean and take complexity out. For the first time ever, we're, th we're taking things away, not adding and adding and adding, not adding just technology. Technology helps to take complexity out and things away. The best use experience is no UI yeah, because you're sure. interact. So that said, it's, it's our job to equip that ERP, that most modern, which S4 is, with that technology in the context of the business process. Let's take again a very concrete example of process robotic automation. In that example I said before, if you if follow that further, yeah, maybe you, you, you support your request for proposal and afterwards you have your order. But um, you execute on that and you combine that then with your ERP system. These are very standard steps which always happen. And here exactly you can, again, automate those steps. And there might be a final interaction from the expert to tick a check mark. But all the daunting tasks before, which recurring again and again and again, and then you do them late, and then you forget them at your end of the year, and then your controller picks up the phone and mm -hmm. yells at you, that should be a very seamless flow. And this is where we pre-built the bots already as part of the business process. And I happen to believe, if you look fast forward, is that the commoditization that we have in our private life, that we expect machines and products and devices doing things for us. Um, if you 
forget your phone for a day, you're going to feel that very harsh how much of automation you're accustomed to don't, already. Don't talk about that. It's, it's a scary, <laughs> scary thought. <laughs> it is, it is. And unfortunately, I sometimes also went through that. Um, but that's exactly the behavior we're going to have and do expect afterwards for something like S4 can already do today. Do you see, let's say, differences or let's say different maturity levels in adoption or let's say in grabbing that technology? In certain industries, are there something like forerunners and some industries who are, which are a little bit more like reluctant or are they all, let's say, on the same level? I think there are frontrunners to the, uh, to the sheer necessity of scale, speed and growth. So consumer products, retail is, is a perfect environment where you see that. We have customers who are very fast growing and, and usually they are in consumer business because the sheer amount of data, the intensity that they need to react to certain business events is just keeping them in business or putting them out of business. I think other areas where it's uh, complex manufacturing uh, will be later. They might augment certain parts of the processes, but still um, the way how they transform their business is, is currently at the forefront. So that said, we're looking at all the industries. We're looking also at the mechanism and via actually standardization, which is best applied via a SAS model, that you can get that out, you get the usage. And the good thing is here, we can measure the usage at the right point, at the right time, and very, very quickly. So you can also evolve the technology, more bots, less bots, more complex bots, putting them together, combining RPA with machine learning, which we're already doing for a very long time, but now it starts to get tangible for the end user. When we're talking about all these, let's say, benefits, what, what also can be something like a thought put into is, um, is the word cloud. Is cloud or something like, a, like having cloud as a deployment model to be able to leverage all these benefits, is this necessary? Is it, let's say, optional or is it recommended? Yeah. So first of all, I think, you know, let's quickly define when we talk now cloud here in this podcast, I'm talking about software as a service. I think that's the, the, the one, the accelerator to the adoption. Now, no matter what your deployment model is, and I think the deployment models, the outcome of different deployment models for me is speed of innovation. By the way, even in the cloud, let's not forget that if you have a good strategy for platform as a service, you can do some things slower. It's not only about faster, but the adoption via cloud is the prepackaging, is that I consume it as a service, which means three things. Number one, I exactly know what I get. I can scale up and scale down, and I don't need all the bells and whistles around in my own territory, the experts, the the ability to stitch together technologies, it, it comes to me as part of the service. So that's what I would argue cloud, software as a service to be specific, has been the accelerator of adopting those technologies. Um, interesting enough, in the market, everyone now talks about it. Uh, now that we have been in that for, for a couple of years, meanwhile, we see it also as a natural part of the product. So I have very few interactions in our co-innovation engagements, which we do about explain me the technology. They right away now jumped into, okay, how do you deliver that to me as a service? What is the outcome? And they accept that there is technology supporting that. They even want us to do that for them. Yeah, they like the openness that they can maybe interact, craft it a little bit. 
but they do expect it just comes as part of the product. So we've talked until now about industries, about like, let's say, customer sizes. Let's talk about line of businesses. Mm -hmm. um, where do you think like are the processes where we can already ap apply heavily these new kind of technologies and these kind of intelligence? Yeah. So naturally, if you talk about an ERP, if you talk about SAP S4HANA, we apply automatically from us as part of the product in all the line of business that you actually can automate already today that you expect from an ERP, finance, procurement, manufacturing. That's a very natural where not only we have the experts, we have the technology. I think it's part of that best practice approach we should take. Uh, there are two more aspects that I would like to allude to. The one is, and that has nothing to do with the industry, you want to come to this new world. So actually you migrate from something you have today to this new world. Even there, automation can help you a lot. Um, if you think about machine learning, you want to preserve that historical data, which was one of the fundamental architectural decisions which still helps a lot that at least for our installed base, when you come from an ECC to S4, the data definition is actually intact. So you're apples to apples mm -hmm. and not apples to oranges, which is the problem when you come from another world, because then you need to semantically traduce for machine learning to do what machine learning should do. And, and the last point is then coming back to the classical line of business view, a line of business approach is something that goes away over time. Why? Because we need to think about end-to-end -end processes. By the way, inside an S4 and outside an S4, the data will come from different sources. You might interact with different systems. Now, the line of business will pertain as delivering their value, but automation need to come as an end-to-end -end process in mind. So something like these kinds of automation may lead that to the direction that you cannot really distinguish between, for example, logistics guy and a financial, financial guy anymore so much in the future because automation helps a logistics guy to also like uh, things about the controlling aspect. Maybe. So the guys might still differ yeah. <laughs> as, as mm -hmm. they, have, they have been maybe educated in their environment or even been born there. Uh, but I think there's a very important point in what you mentioned, the interaction with both of them. So, so what does a, a high and hyper-integrated system like S4 now with that automation technology deliver? First of all, we look above the cubicle line. Um, example, we optimize everything that we can do in the financial department to close our books in real time. To give you a tangible example, What does that do that saves a lot of time and effort they do with their standard tasks? So where would you invest it? You would exactly invest that the controller looks above the cubicle line, gives his data, his secret mojo to the guy in logistics and manufacturing, and they start to talk with each other, technology-wise, but also human-wise. Mm -hmm. That's why I happen to believe, yes, there are a lot of fear, doubt, and, and uncertainty around that automation. But it also enables a different collaboration across. And I like that analogy. Let's look above the cubicle line, how now a controller can support the manufacturing guy and both each other have a completely different and much more educated discussion on real-time data, on what can they automate. You know, coming back to the example I had before with that sales guy, a big contract in has an impact to the guy who is in the purchase department who runs the warehouse because his safety stock is maybe not enough. A big contract not coming equally. So that interaction, that automation on an end-to-end -end process 
serves both and has a much more educated dialogue. When we talk about automation, artificial intelligence, and all that new kinds of te technologies, we are talking about most of the time about white collar people, yeah, working in the offices, not really like in the the warehouses, etc. Since we're talking about something like an industrial revolution, and we're looking back in history, um, we see that the former industrial revolutions, they the effects went most of the, let's say, time more to the blue-collar people. Now we're talking about the white-collar people. And uh, you may quite often now get something like nervousness. Mm. What does this mean for them? And uh, let's, let's ask this question in the most extreme way. Does automatization, does artificial intelligence mean that white-collars have to be afraid of losing their job as a result of that? So first of all, the jobs will change. That's a fact. Um, now, it can be on a very positive one that if technology helps me to focus on the exceptions, I can do just more, better, or be more efficient. I can react faster. So actually, my, my job is even more secure because I focus on what matters. I'm not doing daunting tasks according to something that I've always done. I really have now the ability to focus on the exceptions. Uh, the, the lost contract, the one contract, the, the interaction between, as I explained before. So I think the job will change for the white-collar workers. But from an extreme perspective, um, I think, and I'll give you my personal, my personal thought on that, I have two boys. I tell them, guys, you need to be good in something with M. Mm -hmm. It's either Mandarin or math. Mm -hmm. So Mandarin, we understand in some of the changes that we see in the equilibrium about, about the global economy. And the second one is math, because you're going to decide as an individual, as the future white-collar worker, do you sit in front of the algorithm or behind the algorithm? Now, you don't need to have a PhD, but you need to understand what the system wants and does for you. And that is actually where I see that huge change coming. Now, lucky me, they're both good in math. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's again about education. So the, the, let's say the base recipe for the last 15 years, like uh, take care of your education, is also the recipe for the future. And we do not have to be really, let's say, anxious about the future, but the future is definitely positive and giving us possibilities we have not yet dreamed about before. I'm pretty excited. I think it is constant learning, but also part of that learning is putting the experts today who understand the business process end-to-end with the mathematicians, with the engineers, with the technologies to get in one room. Like they sit together, they look at an end-to-end -end process and both combine because you need that experience. And that's something which, again, by our understanding and, and again, take my job, why I'm so thrilled to be out there and co-innovating with customers. Like I have a, I have a black belt team who, who does day in and day out, they create bots. Mm -hmm. But you could do that in theory. You could do that on the blank sheet of paper. You could do that that you look, okay, we always done it this way. No, you need to sit together with those experts. And what I like is that combo it doesn't have necessarily to do with age, but it's also the different behaviors you bring together. And if you want to have a best practice that works, that's actually what you should do. You need to open up. You need to look above the cubicle line. You need to learn what those algorithms can do, but then take an expert sit together and craft it down very, very tangibly and then try it out. As a closing question, like Mark Raben, our MEE CTO in our episode said, um, 
technology is human. Yeah, because technology is just doing what we are able like to tell it to do. Mm. And uh, that's why he expects the, let's say, technology, the ERP and so on, grow closer to the people, becoming something like an integral part of your everyday life. Do you agree with that estimation? So I absolutely do agree because we all notice that in our private life, as I said, that, that, that scary moment, your, your, your mobile phone at the morning doesn't mm. work. Um, look how much of your personal and private and also business life is meanwhile combined on such devices. Um, that just makes it happen. I don't want people to try it out and then I would never do that by purpose, mm -hmm. but it happened. And this is where you realize that this is what we are up for. Now, technology making it human is the, is the oil, is the essence. It's like um, even going to S4, being able to talk to it, as I said before, is not the trick. Does the system understand what I want? That's the huge trick. And a lot of that complexity happens behind the curtain. So that's why technology and applying it is not a standard engineering approach. Actually, it's a very human approach that I want. Because at the end, the outcome would be focus on what matters, focus on growth, focus on making faster and better and reliable decisions. That's what we are paid for. That's what we are driving companies. And I think that's the human aspect at the end, even in the New ERP. Thanks a lot, Sven. It was a great episode. Thanks for having me again. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.